Ah, it's a CXM experience. It's GradCon, CXO at Sprinkler. And uh, here uh, today we're going to talk about CXM. You know, we've been talking about examples of experience quite a bit lately, but uh, today we're just going to do kind of a, a CXM discussion. And I'm going to, I'm going to introduce, I'm going to introduce a new concept um, that may be very new, but uh, I think it's kind of interesting. So uh, let me talk a little bit about how communication has changed over the last hundred and change years. And then I'll kind of frame up this sort of new concept for how I want to frame up where we're going. And then I want to talk a little bit about what CXM is and what I think CXM is not. Uh, and I think there's a lot of people out there trying to define CXM. But for me, it's pretty clear what it is. And I think we've got broad agreement from analysts and others that we're on the right track. So let's uh, talk a little bit about communication. So for a long time, humans communicated to each other. That's how we told stories. Uh, we told them around campfires. We told them around tables. We told them across backyard fences. But humans talked to humans. And that's how stories spread. And then we uh, invented the printing press. You know, and Gutenberg had um, an incredible impact. Uh, on society, uh, particularly actually from a religious standpoint, because they were able to mass produce Bibles, which were the thir first things produced on the printing press. Uh, and that led to a, a really strong spread of religion and a standardization of religion in a very interesting way, uh, but also led to many other things like newspapers and magazines and things like that. And we started to see the spread of mass media. Uh, but it really wasn't until the 20th century that broadcasts got really powerful because you saw the growth of TV and radio. And those two mediums really transformed the way that we talk to each other, which is not so much. Um, you know, the, the thing about the broadcast world, which was a pretty interesting development, that must have felt really dislocating as well for people, is that even with a newspaper or magazine, people would read it, but then they would discuss it, they would share, they would argue, etc. cetera. Uh, with the growth of TV and radio, and, you know, and movie theaters to a certain extent, um, people became more passive participants in the communication exercise. And, you know, humans are very easily addicted to flickering images. Um, you know, you, your typical movie is showing you 24 images per second. Video is 30 images per second, which is why video is a little bit more entrancing. Um, high definition can be 60 frames per second. Uh, but it's just little pictures being thrown at us. That's why if you ever see, um, notice your behavior, if you ever see a presenter on stage, um, back in the old days when we used to go to conferences, uh, you'd be sitting in your seat and you may be pretty close to the stage. The presenter may be reasonably close to you. But if the presenter is also being projected onto a video screen, you will naturally feel your head turning away from the live person towards the video screen. Slightly closer shot, perhaps, but it's the 30 images per second flickering up there that pull your attention. And so we all became entranced in the 20th century with a, a medium that was very much one way. And, uh, and as the web came out, the web actually borrowed many elements from the broadcast methodology and the broadcast perspective. And much of the web is one way as well. You know, websites tend to be, um, hey, I'm just going to talk to you. Uh, and they just, you know, tell you a story. You flip through things. You watch videos. You know, you listen to people talk. Like it's 
very much a collection of broadcast uh, in another sort of broadcast medium. Now, one that you control a little bit more because you're clicking on things and you're just maybe guiding your own adventure a bit more, but still very much uh, broadcast. And then the 21st century dawned. And in 2002, a little application called Friendster was launched. Uh, it died on the um, brutal heels of server unavailability, which was really hard to watch. Uh, but then MySpace came out the next year. That did pretty well for a while. And then Facebook came out the year after that. So did LinkedIn, 2004. And, and what we saw is the sudden growth of a different type of web. Uh, we saw the growth of forums. We saw the growth of blogs. Uh, you saw the growth of review sites. And, and suddenly what was happening is instead of just passively looking at a website and passively looking at videos, suddenly people were talking to each other again. And, and I'll, I'm going to call this the birth of the conversation web. And what we had in the 1990s, and it's still very much true today. Many, many websites are built this way, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but the the other one I'll call this the broadcast web. So there's the broadcast web and there's the conversation web. And there's a big difference between the broadcast web and the conversation web. One is more static, and one is more dynamic. Uh, and very much the future will be, I think, in the conversation web. Certainly that is where uh, all the most interesting information exists. And that's how people are sharing with each other. And I think to a large extent, the reason that the conversation web works and it makes sense is that it is very much a return to the way that we always communicated. We talked to each other. Uh, we shared things with each other. It's, it's reigniting a kind of core human need and a core human behavior, which is very natural for us. It's exactly the way we want to talk, exactly the way we want to be. So the conversation web is not going anywhere. If anything, it's going to get bigger. There's still a role for the broadcast web. There's nothing wrong with being able to go to say, a car website and be able to see the features on the different models of the car. I don't know if I want to have to ask for every single thing. So broadcast has a role. But clearly, the conversation web is going to be more powerful. And what you're starting to see is the growth of conversational commerce, uh, where people go and they want to have a conversation about what they want to buy. Uh, you're starting to see some very interesting chatbot programs coming out there. Some very interesting ways of interacting with sites where instead of being sort of plowed through a relentless gauntlet of downloading white papers and filling out my name and you know getting emails and all that sort of goofy marketing automation stuff from uh, you know 15 years ago, uh, what you're seeing is like, hey, can I help solve your problem right now? Can I get you to the thing you need to do right now? Uh, would, you like to, would you like to play with the product? You know, product-led growth is sort of becoming dominant because I, I'm on the site probably because I know I want to be there. Hey, here's the product. Play with it. If you like it, pay more. Get more of it. If you don't like it, that's okay too. You know, but we can have a conversation with each other. I think this idea of conversation is going to be really important. And I, I do think it does cause a radical rethinking of the way that companies are structured and the way that companies work, because the tiny teams that we have had to date on customer care and, quite frankly, marketing, it just isn't going to cut it in the future. You're going to have to enable most of the teams in the company to talk to customers. So what will happen is the companies will become primarily customer-facing, having conversations with thousands uh, or hundreds of thousands of customers over the course of a year. So I think 
that's a pretty exciting idea, but it's obviously a major piece of digital transformation. So, so what is this kind of broadcast web versus conversation web? What are the implications of it from a CXM standpoint or customer experience management standpoint? So there is a point of view out there that CXM is measuring customer experience. I flatly re reject that, as do many others. I think that's ridiculous. Simply the measurement, particularly in surveys, of customer experience is silly. What you really need to do is you need to understand customer experience from the standpoint of how people are expressing themselves during the experience. So you want the unsolicited, unstructured feedback that they're posting across the conversation web. And you have to be able to fix the problem. If someone has an issue, you've got to be able to solve it. If someone's happy, you should be able to escalate that. If somebody is like uh, ambivalent about something or disappointed, you've got to be able to address it. And measuring customer experience in and of itself is pointless. In fact, almost more irritating to people to be asked to fill out surveys and give their opinion and then never hear back because uh, it's being aggregated into some kind of, you know, table or report for senior management. What really needs to happen is if somebody sees what I'm experiencing or understands the experience that I'm having and hears about it, that they respond to it while I am in that experience, while I'm having distress, while I'm having an issue, while I'm, having, while I'm getting happy. Like I want someone to be intersecting with me during that moment and, and fixing it, amplifying it, you know, supporting it, whatever that is. And so whatever you do in CXM and however CXM is defined, it has to be both the listening part of it, it has to be the learning part of it, and it has to be the loving part of it. You've got to love your customers within the flow, and it's all got to be in a single platform. I think this is going to be really important because you know, it's, as we define essentially a new category here in CXM, it's going to be critical that we do understand what it means. And simply measuring experience uh, is customer feedback management. Okay, so customer feedback management is perfectly acceptable. There's nothing wrong with that. But let's be super clear that if you're in the CFM space, I'm looking at you, Qualtrics. I'm looking at you, Medallia. You're in the CFM space. Don't be calling yourself CXM companies because you're not. To be a CXM company, you've got to be able to listen. You've got to be able to learn. And you've got to be able to love your customer within a single flow, within a single platform. And you can't do that with people uh, like the Medallia and Qualtrics of the world. So that's what we have on CXM today. Uh, new concepts today, broadcast web versus conversation web. Conversation web is ascendant, and that's where we're going. And in the conversation web, you've got to be able to hear the conversations. You've got to understand what people are talking about. You've got to be able to act on what they say, what we call listen, learn, and love. And for the CXM experience, this is Greg Kong, and I'll see you next time.